Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect for everyone, love the family of believers, fear God and honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Good morning. Why are you here? And why am I here? 
Now, what is church all about? What are we doing this morning? What's this all for? Have you ever asked yourself those kind of questions? Have you asked yourself that right now as you're getting into the service? But what is the church for? If you were to play a bit of word association and I were to say church, what is it that pops into your mind? Is it, I don't know, social club? That um, you know, people who get together with each other who happen to like reading ancient literature or who are into religious things or who have nothing better to do on a Sunday morning. When I say church, maybe you just think Sunday service, you know, traditional stuff that we do, sermon, songs and prayers. And maybe it's not so much a picture that comes into your head. Maybe it's more like a feeling. So when I say church, you feel guilty or ashamed because of stuff that's happened in the past and church has made you feel like that. Or you feel uh, irrelevant. Maybe you feel nothing or think nothing because church just isn't really a big part of your life. Maybe you're just dipping a toe in this morning. If that's you, then welcome. Um, it's good to have you here. Um, maybe, maybe it's positive stuff, and I hope it would be, that when you think church, you think, oh, family, these are the people that I belong to. I don't know, maybe it's a mixture of all those kind of things. But Peter, in his letter today, in the bit that we read earlier on, writes to teach us about who we are as a church, about what the church should be. And there's a lot in here. I wonder if, as you've been reading through 1 Peter, um, the last week or so, maybe you've been reading it since Sammy introduced us to it last week. You've been just thinking there's an awful lot in here. How am I supposed to make sense of it all? And when we get to this thing about church and try and understand who we are, there's an awful lot in here as well. How do I make sense of it all? Maybe it feels, it feels to me a little bit like approaching a country house that's um, like a National Trust house or a Cadu house or something like that, that's just so full of stuff, so full of interesting corridors and beautiful rooms and amazing gardens and a castle up on the hill. And there's so much to see, you just can't quite take it all in. So you need a guide. You need somebody with a key to open the front door and lead you through. Well, Peter gives us a key to his book, a key to this house, which is at the back door of the house. It's right at the end of the book, that's what I mean. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, if you want to have a look at it, Peter writes this, tells us why he's writing. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly. Silas is his friend, maybe his secretary. I've written to you briefly, encouraging you, that's one thing, and testifying that this is the true grace of God. So stand fast in it. He's writing to tell us about God's grace, God's unbelievable goodness poured out on people who don't deserve it. That's what grace is. And that that grace is true. That's the first thing. He's testifying about it. It's true because he saw it. He's borne witness to Jesus, to his life and death and resurrection and everything that Jesus is. Jesus is a gift, God's gift to humanity. And he's true. He's reliable. You can trust in him. So this is going to be a letter all about God's grace, true grace. And also a letter to encourage us or exhort us or help us to do something, to keep on walking following Jesus, to keep on pressing on as one of his apprentices. So those two things, did you see that? Peter wants us to know what's true, that grace is true, and he wants you to have something to do because of it, right? They're linked together. So let's go back and have a look at chapter two. We'll start from verse four and have a look at five things that Peter teaches us about the church and five things that are amazing gifts of God's grace that lead us to do something. They're truths, truths about grace that lead us to do something. Grace, God's gift of grace, is um, it's just a beautiful gift. Something poured out on us that we don't deserve. That's what grace is all about. So how is the church that? Well, first, because it's built on Jesus. That's number one of the five things. As you come to him, have a look at verse four. As you come to him, the living stone 
rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Verse 6, see, I lay a stone in Zion, God says, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Everything that we are is built on him. It's not something that people invented, something that God invented. He's the one who lays this foundation, this cornerstone. The cornerstone was the the first block that you put down in building an ancient building, and it set the lines um, of uh, kind of which direction the walls would go, and it set the levels, and basically set the tone and the shape and and everything about that building. Started with the cornerstone. So it is with us, not just in my life, but in the life of us as a church together in Ammonford, the life of the church in the world. All of it is built on Jesus. All of it follows him, starts with him, flows from him, looks like him, smells like him, tastes like him, follows his lines and his levels. It all starts with Jesus. That's the truth, that he is God's gift to us, to you. So what do you do? That's what Peter wants you to know. He's testifying about that. What does he want to encourage you to do about that? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? In verse four, as you come to him, or in verse six, This stone's been laid down and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So this is a stone. Jesus is a stone that God has chosen. His son from before the beginning of the world. He's chosen him. So will you choose him to be the cornerstone of your life? Will we have him and stick to him as the cornerstone of our church so that everything we do is about Jesus? Everything we do flows from him and flows to him because he's our cornerstone. That's our challenge That's what Peter's encouraging us to do, to never move on from Jesus. So what about you? Is he the cornerstone of your life? Is he the most important thing who sets the agenda for your life in every direction and angle? Well, the second thing about the church is that um, it's a house, but it's not a building, a literal building. It's a house of living stones. That's in verse five. So when you come to him, as you come to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. It's actually a temple that it's talking about, isn't it? That's a spiritual house, a place where God lives. That's what we're supposed to be. A community of living stones of people, not the building anymore, but the people who are being built into a place for God to live. That's an amazing gift of God's grace, and it's true. God is taking people from all sorts of different places, scattered in all sorts of different countries and languages and backgrounds and all different kinds of people, and gathering up, gathering them up to be a house that he builds. But to do what? Well, we'll get to that in a second. Because first I want to ask the question, where is this house built? Because the people are scattered, aren't they? In the letter, if you were here last week, or just have a look at the first sentence of the whole letter, it's to exiles, to scattered people throughout this big, wide piece of land that, um, or the kind of group of places that Peter's writing to. These are people who are scattered physically, but they're also scattered spiritually and maybe kind of in themselves. They feel alone. They feel far away from people around them. They feel like they don't really belong. They're exiles. Like they're they're kind of homesick, even though they, they live where they grew up. How have they got like that? Well, they've got like that by following Jesus. And now maybe they feel a bit like stones that have been thrown, thrown away on a kind of abandoned brownfield site just scattered around the place, as if God has maybe abandoned them. Imagine these kind of people. They've left the the old religious ways of their ancestors, and now they're following God. They're following a God who's promised to do more 
than they can ever ask or imagine. He's promised to forgive their sins, to give them hope in a future. But then their lives have gotten really difficult and they're going through all sorts of suffering. And you can imagine the people around them saying, this God doesn't exist. Or maybe even more than that, they're saying, you've turned away from the gods of our ancestors. That's why your life is so hard. The God that you have isn't as powerful as our old gods. So you've made our gods angry and now that's why your life is really hard. Look, you must... He must have done something against your God, if he even exists at all, for your life to be so hard. And so these people feel lonely because there's not many of them around, not many other Christians, but also kind of abandoned and thrown away because life is hard. And Peter writes to them and says, no, you're not. You've not been abandoned. You haven't been thrown on the scrap heap of life. You are God's chosen, precious stones, scattered for the moment, but you're being built into a house, a temple that will stretch the size of the world. Do you see? So they're not actually stones thrown away on an abandoned building site. They are stones laid out carefully by God, following the pattern of that cornerstone. God has laid these people out as living stones. He's laid you and I out, put us in exactly where we are. He's placed us in the shape of a great temple that's being slowly built so that stones would be built on us and others would be built on those who are built on us. And gradually this huge temple takes shape that's the size of the world, that's made up of people, living stones from every tribe and tongue and nation, and is being built up into a house where people meet God, where people live in his presence and where he lives with them. Can I show you where I get that from in the Old Testament, where Peter's getting that from? First of all, it's from Exodus 19, where God reminds them, the people of Israel, that he carried them on eagles' wings I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself out of darkness in Egypt and slavery and to me so that you would be my treasured possession. I carried you on eagle's wings. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. But it's not just the Israelites, because in Isaiah 56, God says, It's for foreigners as well. Foreigners, people who aren't Israel, who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. It's those kind of people that I'll bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So do you see who we are? Do you see who you are, what you're a part of? A part of God's house called from people all over the world. You feel scattered, you might feel like he's far away, but he's not. He's building you slowly into a a house where he lives and where other people are called to live with us. You see, that's the true grace. That's the gift that God makes you part of his house. And what are you supposed to do? What's the encouragement, the exhortation because of that? It's to sing. Have a look at this. You're supposed to be people who offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are those spiritual sacrifices? That was in verse 5. Have a look in verse 9. We're to be people who declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're made to sing to God, to worship him with everything that we are. On a Sunday morning, on a Sunday afternoon, a Sunday evening, outside of church services, as we live and work and sleep and enjoy his world and share Um, life with other people as we speak and eat and drink all of our life is supposed to be singing literally and 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 like metaphorically singing back to God praising him and as we do that what happens other people hear 
and they get built into the temple and slowly it builds to completion. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? What a gift to be a part of God's building. This new, sometimes it's called a kingdom. Actually, let's just carry on and see what Peter calls it. Have a look at verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Those are the three last things I want us to see. We're built on Jesus. He's our cornerstone. We're being built into a spiritual house, but we're more than just a house, a building. We're a chosen people, a new nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What do those mean? Okay, chosen people means that of all the people in the world, God has looked at you and said, I love you. And looked at us and said, I want you. Why has he done that? Why is it that though in verse 10, you were not a people, now we are a people? Why is it that once we hadn't received mercy, but now we have received mercy? Why is it that God makes us his special possession in verse 9? Well, the only reason we really have is because he wants to. There's nothing in us that makes us kind of qualified to be a part of God's people. It's just that he loves us and chooses us because he chooses us. He loves us because he loves us. And that's an amazing thing. That it's way better than self-esteem. That builds up your confidence and your humility and your courage. It encourages no end because it's not something, it's not based on something that's in me. It's based on him and he loves me, which means that it's never something you can lose. If he loves me because he loves me, not because of anything I've done, then there's nothing that I could do to make him stop loving me. If he loves me just because he loves me, then there's nothing that I could do to make him love me anymore. It's in entirely grace, God's gift to us and to you. He's chosen you. He's made you his special possession. He looks at you and loves you. So whatever you've done, whatever anybody else has done to you to make you feel worthless, to make you feel ashamed, listen to what it says. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. More than that, even more than mercy and giving you stuff, he gives you himself. It says you are his special possession. If you're trusting Jesus, if you're walking with him, that's you today. That's us. He loves us and cares for us and gives us a job. What's our job? What do we do with that amazing grace? Well, two things. We're to be a holy nation. So people who are set apart, who look like God, that's what holiness is all about. It's an adjective for God. We're supposed to look like him. We'll get to how we do that in a second. And we're supposed to be a priesthood, royal priesthood, who are kings because he's a king and priests. Well, what do priests do? Okay, priests work in the temple and they do sacrifices and all these different things. And they're supposed to bring people towards God into his presence. And they're supposed to bring God into the presence of the people. Do you see that? They're kind of mediators. They're like go-betweens, in-between people and God. And it's not just pastors or professional Christians who are priests. We together, each one of us, are a kingdom of priests. People who play our part in bringing other people to know God, in bringing God to know other people. We bring them before him in prayer. We bring them to Jesus. Because did you see, Jesus is really the one who is all these things. We're priests who are supposed to lead people to see the high priest, who's Jesus. He's the one who's chosen. He's the one who's special. He's the one who's holy and different and set apart and and is God himself. He's all of these things. And so we follow him in his lines, in his footsteps, following that cornerstone and bringing other people to come and know him.
So how do we do that? Well, there's three ways that we do that. There's an upward way, there's an inward way, and there's an outward way. Let me explain what I mean. So we're the church, we're this uh, people built on Jesus, a people called together to be a holy nation, a people who are chosen and special and precious who don't belong in this world anymore, who are made for another home. What are we supposed to do about that? Well, there's, there's an upward thing to do, and that's worship. I mentioned this already, singing, isn't it? In verse 9, all of this, your God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the sacrifices that we offer. That's what priests do, is pray and praise and sing and give our whole lives in worship to God. I mentioned that already. And what does that do? Well, it brings other people to know the story. It brings other people into that building. So here's some practical ways you could do that this week. The first is an upward movement, isn't it? The first is you're doing it already. You're in church or participating in church online. So sing with your whole heart. Pray with your whole heart. Think and listen with your whole mind. Give your whole life to Jesus completely in worship. And the world will see that, will taste and smell that it's just a bit different, that it's beautiful. And people will come and join and they'll be living stones too. They'll join this group. So that's the upward movement. And there's also an outward movement. They're all kind of overlaps. So the upward thing is worship. The inward thing is a holiness thing. It's in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as people who don't belong here, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. There are these desires that we find in our hearts, in our selves, that just don't really belong to who we are. See, this is what it means to be a Christian, is to be somebody who God loves and welcomes into his presence, who then goes and lives like that. It's not the other way around. It's not that you do lots of stuff to impress God, to please him, and then he welcomes you into his presence as his people. No, it's the other way around. Everything he gives us is a gift of his grace, his unbelievable goodness poured out to people who don't deserve it. And so that changes the way we live. It makes us look into our hearts and say, Lord, there's stuff inside me that's just not good. There's sinful desires to, to speak about people in wrong ways. There's sinful desires to mess up relationships and be angry and jealous and bitter. There's sinful desires to use other people sexually in ways that I shouldn't. There's sinful desires to take stuff and own stuff. And there's just so much in my heart that's a mess that doesn't fit with my identity as part of God's people. And we're supposed to bring that to God and say, Lord, would you, would you help me? Would you forgive me of this? Would you take it away? And help me to live for you. How does he do that? Have a look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So we take them to him and we give them to him and he takes them away. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. It's by his wounds you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, it feels often like a Christian. When you're a Christian, it feels like you're scattered, like you're far away, like you're a sheep without a shepherd, lonely in your classroom, lonely in your workplace, lonely in your family. But Jesus says, no, when you come to me with all of your brokenness and weakness and sins, when you come to me, I'll bring you home. You return to the shepherd and the one who oversees our souls. So that's the inward movement. You see, we're upward in worshipping God. We're inward in that we fight against those desires that we have. And we say, Lord, would you help me? Would you clean me up from the inside out and help me to be one of your people? And then number three, there's an outward movement. 
And they all kind of overlap. But this is how we treat other people. I mean, people see us worship. People see us live, in verse 12, such good lives among those who don't know Jesus, among pagans, that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then Peter gives us two ways to live so good with such good deeds that people see. The first is submitting to authority, even bad authority, even governments like Nero, the emperor Nero, who was on the throne when Peter wrote this letter. Even people like that we're supposed to submit to and honour and do our best to help them do what's good. That's why God has put authorities over us. That's what governments are to do. They're supposed to be doing good. That's what he says in the next section. And so we're to help them. We're to honour them and do all that we can in our present culture to do good, to be exemplary citizens, not to whinge and moan and, um, and be bitter or proud or kind of think of ourselves as others better. We're supposed to submit even to bad authorities, even to them, because that's what Jesus did. It's a way of trusting in God and it's a way of being something completely different to people around us so that a kind of good smell comes from our lives and people want in and want a part of it. And the second thing is how we act with our employers. That's from verse 18. You can have a read of that later. Even unjust and bad employers, Peter says, you should do good to them. Be a faithful worker. Be a faithful friend. Even when your boss is not a good boss, don't whine about them in the staff room. Don't join in with that gossip. Be somebody who somehow does good to them. So what would that look like for you when you're getting picked on at school, in the classroom, for being a Christian or for, for whatever? What would it look like to do good to the people who are making your life hard? When you're getting picked on in the staff room, what would it look like for you to do good to the people who are holding your career back? What about in your family life? The people who, um, who you love most, but who seem far away because you know Jesus and they don't. What would it look like to do good to them? in such a way, in such a way that they see your good deeds and want in on this God stuff. They see such good deeds and they want to be a part of the church. See, this is a beautiful picture, isn't it? I hope it is, that we're people who are built on God's goodness in giving us Jesus, that we're built into a house that encompasses anybody, whoever wants to come, from whatever background, they're part of it. A place that we know we're God's chosen possession, where we seek to be good, even to people who are not good to us, just like Jesus has been good to us. Where we're priests who, who share Jesus with others and try and bring them into his presence. Where we're just a different kind of people. Isn't that a beautiful picture of church? Or maybe you might say, it is, it's a good vision, but the church is nothing like that. And I hope as AEC we're making some progress towards looking like that. But maybe you would say, the church is nothing like that in my experience. It has messed me up. It has made me feel guilty and ashamed. It, it has made me feel like I don't belong. It has made me feel like I could never be forgiven. It has made me feel like God doesn't like me. Like God would never want to. Maybe you've had a bad experience of church like that. Well, if that's you, can I say, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry on behalf of the church for how we failed to be a sweet-smelling, beautiful presence, faithful submissive, putting others first kind of a presence in the world. We should apologise for that. But also, if you really do think it's a good vision, well, why don't you come and be a part of it? Don't reject it. Don't turn away from the church. Don't abandon it. Don't think that, that all is lost because it's built on Jesus. It was started by God 
built on his son, the Lord Jesus, and has the strength of his spirit coursing through our veins so that one day we would be fully built into this beautiful house that doesn't make mistakes and do stupid, sinful things anymore. One day this house will be built. Do you want to be a part of building that church? That's what Jesus calls us to do. That's what Jesus calls us to be a part of, to come to Jesus, to come to him with all of our failures and to say, Lord, we're sorry for how we've messed this up, how we haven't been this beautiful church that you called us to be. Lord, we're sorry for that. But we ask that you give us your spirit to help us know Jesus is our cornerstone, to choose him, to help us know what it is to be priests, to bring you to the world and the world to you, to help us remember that we're chosen and precious, to help us to be holy, to help us to love and do good to those who deserve it least. Lord, will you help us to be your church? Will you make that your prayer? Will you make that part of your life's project? To not just come to church on a Sunday, to not just get involved in an institution, to not just listen to some stuff online now and again, but to come and throw yourself in, to say, yes, that's me. I'm one of those people. I want to be a living stone built on Jesus, trusting him. I want to be a part of his church. Amen.